So this morning, I want to take that gospel lesson that we've just heard in John and, and break it down just a little bit so that we understand it more fully. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them to chapter 21, I'm going to be working from the message version, but it's helpful to have whatever version you prefer open in front of you if you, uh, if you care to do that. So as we look at John in the 21st chapter, John tells us, After this, Jesus appeared again to the disciples, this time at the Tiberias Sea, the Sea of Galilee. And this is how he did it. Simon Peter, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the brothers Zebedee, James and John, two other disciples were together. Simon Peter announced, I'm going fishing. The rest of them replied, we're going with you. And so they went out and they got in the boat. And the scripture says they caught nothing that night. When the sun came up, Jesus was standing on the beach, but they didn't recognize him. Jesus spoke to them, good morning, did you catch anything for breakfast? They answered, no. And he said, throw the nets off the right side of the boat and see what happens. And they did what he said, and all of a sudden there were so many fish in it, they weren't strong enough to pull it in. Then the disciple Jesus loved, being John, said to Peter, It's the Master. When Simon Peter realized that it was the Master, he threw on some clothes because he was stripped for work, and he dove into the sea. The other disciples came in by boat, for they weren't far behind, they weren't far from land, a hundred yards or so, pulling along the net full of fish. When they got out of the boat, they saw a fire laid with fish and bread cooking on it. Jesus said, bring some of the fish you've just caught. Simon Peter joined them and pulled the net to shore. A hundred and fifty-three big fish. And even with all those fish, the net didn't hit. Jesus said, breakfast is ready. Not one of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the master. Jesus then took the bread and gave it to them. He did the same with the fish. Now this was the third time Jesus had shown himself alive to the disciples since being raised from the dead. Now this is an interesting account, I think. After his resurrection, Jesus appeared to the disciples when he appeared to his disciples before this third appearance. Jesus had told the disciples, go to Galilee, wait for me there, I'll meet you in Galilee. And so the disciples were obedient, they did what they were told to do, but once they got there, it wasn't clear to them what they should be doing. So they fish. Isn't that the way we are, often? When things don't go the way we had hoped... When our future is unclear, when we're in this state of limbo, this state of waiting, we can't really move forward, we can't do much of anything but sit, what do we often do? Well, we fall back on our old ways, the way we used to be, to the things that we used to do. And so when Peter says, I'm going fishing, the rest of the disciples, I guess we're going fishing too. And that's what they do. Now, John says that they go fishing that evening, but they don't catch anything, nothing significant. 
And that in its, of itself, I think, is significant because in almost every account of disciples fishing, not once do they ever catch anything of significance without Jesus. Whether we're fishing for fish or fishing for people, we're always more successful when Jesus is present. When we allow Jesus to be the master fisherman, the haul is always more abundant. And so the disciples learn, just as we must learn, that apart from Christ, they can do nothing. Apart from Christ, we can do very little. So in this passage, Jesus appears in the morning. This is a biblical truth, that hope comes in the morning. You've heard that before. This is symbolic of the appearance of the light of understanding. It's symbolic of revelation, of spiritual awakening. See, the light of truth dawns on the disciples with the appearance of Jesus. In the same way, in our experience, the appearance of Jesus in the midst of our circumstances, whatever they might be, brings transformation to us. It brings hope. It brings redemption. It brings reconciliation and clarity. And so here Jesus directs them to throw the net on the right side of the boat. And they fill the nets to overflowing. See, obedience results in fruit. When we follow God's word, good things happen, order happens, peace happens, provision happens. And we see that provision here. Jesus on the shore has breakfast waiting for them. And that speaks to his grace and to his provision for them and to us. I mean, quite frankly, there's nothing like a hot breakfast. I mean, am I right? Seems like a simple thing, but there's nothing quite like a hot breakfast, especially one that someone has prepared for you. I think about that. Every weekday morning, I get up at 3 o'clock, and I spend a few moments in prayer, and then I get ready for the day's work, and I make my way from Huffman, Texas, all the way to the medical center, and I get to the hospital by 4.30 on most mornings, and I check in with the pre-surgery list to see how many patients need to be seen before surgery that day, and I see as many as I can before their surgery actually takes place, and then about 6.30, I've done all I can before morning report at 8, and so I go find myself a hot breakfast, one that I don't fix. Sometimes it's oatmeal, sometimes it's eggs and bacon and grits, but it's always hot, and the servers always greet me with a smile and a good morning preacher. It's inviting it's an experience of fellowship and the breaking of bread. And so I sit down there in the marketplace with 300 of my closest friends who I don't know. Jesus invites the disciples to the table and breaks bread. And once again, they recognize him in the act of fellowship and communion. Because every time that Jesus breaks bread, 
revelation occurs. Just as the disciples recognize him at the breaking of the bread, we too see Christ when we seek him at the communion table. And we will see that in very real and tangible ways if you just open your heart to the moment when we come to the communion table. Christ is there. One of the themes that's evident in this passage of Scripture is obedience. Jesus says, cast your net on the right side of the boat, and the disciples do. And the result is this big haul of fish. Obedience. See, back in September, I started this one-year residency down at the big hospital, the Methodist Hospital downtown. And before... I accepted this opportunity. I went into prayer because I knew it would be a challenging time. It would be time consuming. It would be challenging for both me and for the two churches that I serve. And I had to be sure that this was the right thing to do. My my hope and what I discussed with, with Kip Giltz, our district superintendent, was... Kip told me, you know, when I did a residency at the hospital, it made me a better pastor. And so my first thought was, are you saying I need to be a better pastor? (laughs) But he said, no, it's, it's not that. It's just that, well, much like Jesus says about the tithe, much like God says about the tithe, test me in this. And so I went into prayer to make sure it was the right thing to do. And I was resisting because I knew it would be a difficult 12 months, which is over on August 30th at 5 p.m. Not that anybody is counting. And one day while praying, I heard this whisper, this still small voice, what the Bible describes as this sheer silence that can be heard. And it told me that obedience is essential, not only to ministry, but in life as well. And that if I wanted to be proficient in it, it being ministry and obedience, then I had to practice obedience. And so this year, well, it's been eight months, four more to go at the hospital is an exercise in obedience. It's an an exercise in submission to the authority and will of God. See, it wasn't for me to prove to God that I could be obedient. It was for God to show me that in His strength and in His power, even I have the ability to be obedient. Why is that important? Well, For me, and I I try to speak from my own experience in the hopes that you will see that, wow, if if that guy can be a pastor, a a leader of God's, a shepherd to God's sheep, then I can do this Christianity thing also. And so for me, my call to pastor came in midlife. It came much later in life. It came at a point in my life when I 
already had had ample time and opportunity to fall really short of the glory of God. Fall short of the high standards and glory of God. And believe you me, I took full advantage of it in my youth. My life before Christ is a testimony to the gods, small g, of selfishness, pride, and disobedience. I own it. Some might say that I have accumulated life experience beyond my years. There's not much I haven't seen. As a result, because I know who I was without Christ, and and this is how I relate to Paul, Saul, persecutor of the church, killer of Christians, because I know who I was without Christ, I must constantly abandon my former self. My sinful self. That person that keeps me from reverting to my default setting as sinful man is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit holds my sinful self in check because left to my own devices, I'm not capable of avoiding my default setting. Left to my own devices, I'm going fishing. And so... Keeping myself in check requires practicing being obedient. Obedience is an action word. The more I practice obedience, the better I get at it, and the more natural it becomes to who I am. And so the day before I decided to accept the residency at the hospital, this same still small voice, this audible silence, The voice of God broke into my consciousness as it has many times before when there are important decisions to be made that require prayer. And it said to me, the still small voice of God, let me show you that you can be obedient. Let me show you that your call to ministry is valid and that by grace I have made you worthy despite who you were before you knew me, let me show you that real life is love and repentance and obedience. And so just like I always do, I ask that question. I'm sure you've asked it as well. Why me, Lord? And just like we know he is a God with a sense of humor, he always answers that question, why me, Lord, with the question, do you love me? Do you love me? See, the Gospel of John unlocks a whole lot of things for us about Jesus and his ministry. And if you look to it as a model for your ministry, as as a member of the body of Christ who is mandated to go spread the gospel. You remember that? If you look to Christ as the model, you see here in this chapter, Jesus asked Simon Peter the very same question. He says, after breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? 
Peter says, yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus says, feed my lambs. He then asks a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, master, you know I love you. Jesus says, shepherd my sheep. Then he says a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? By now, Peter's getting a little upset that Jesus is asking for the third time, do you love me? So he answers, Master, you know everything there is to know. You've got to know that I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. I'm telling you the very truth now. When you were young, you dressed yourself and you went wherever you wished. Boy, howdy, isn't that true? But when you get old, you'll have to stretch out your hands while someone else dresses you and takes you where you don't want to go. Boy, how do you natural? He said this to hint at the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God, and then he commanded, follow me. Now, if you know Simon Peter's story, then you know this. Peter's name, in the Greek, Petros, in the Aramaic, Cephas, means the stone or the rock. And it was on his faith in Christ, on Peter's faith in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter's faith was the foundation upon which Christ built the church. And you also know that when questioned as to whether or not he was a follower of Jesus, what did Peter do? He denied Christ three times. And this is significant. It's significant then that Jesus allows Peter three opportunities to affirm his love for Christ and thus gives him three opportunities to redeem each and every time that he had denied Jesus. Just think of that. In your experience, as many times as you walk away from Christ, as many times as you walk in an opposite direction from the will of God, as many times as you do that, when you repent, when you turn around, Christ is there to ask you the question do you love me see Peter knew he wasn't worthy of shepherding the people of God he knew he was not equipped for the job he knew he had fallen short but Jesus asked the question do you love me and with that question Peter is able to respond with a yes and that yes canceled out all of his transgressions. His yes to that question wipes the slate clean. And so Peter took his redemption and he went on to do great things for the kingdom. Saying yes to Christ washes away your transgressions and puts you in a position to do great things for the kingdom. 
And so you can take your redemption, as I intend to take my redemption, and use it to do great things for God. Each of us, when we say yes to Jesus, has the opportunity to take our redemption and use it to do great things for the kingdom. And as long as we continue to say yes to Jesus' question, do you love me? then he will continue to say to you, lead my people, feed my sheep, shepherd my sheep, feed my lambs. When you say yes to Christ, then your mandate to go and make disciples is renewed once again. And then you can go wherever he sends you out of obedience and even more importantly, out of love. Do you receive that today? Do you want to say yes to the question that Jesus is asking you right now? Do you love me? And so we'll have an opportunity to meet him face to face at his table in just a bit. When you do that, as you come to that place where you receive the elements, the body and the blood of Christ, and you take them, you are in fact saying yes to that question that Jesus is asking you by placing his elements, his body and his blood on the table for you to receive. He's asking the question, do you love me? As you receive them, you are saying yes. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.